Well, this morning we continue our sermon series from the letter to the Hebrews, uh, where we are working to remind ourselves who we are as a community of Christ. In writing this letter, the author of Hebrews is reminding the Christians back then and us today that the Old Covenant was just a shadow of the truth and that the true substance of God's plan for salvation has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is better. Last week we looked at chapter 2 of the letter and at the sacrifice of Christ. In that chapter we saw God's amazing plan that had sent Jesus to earth to be born as a baby and grow up to be a man, where he lived, was tempted, and experienced life in every way, just like us, and then, becoming the merciful and faithful high priest, he sacrificially died to defeat Satan and to deliver us eternally from the fear of death. This week we will look at the end of chapter 12. The chapter begins with a reminder that the Hebrew Christians have a great host of witnesses watching them and cheering them on as they run the race of life. The author encourages readers to run the race set before them with endurance, keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the founder and finisher of their faith. Pastor John will be illuminating this text for us in a few weeks. In verses 4 through 11, the readers are also exhorted to endure suffering and adversity as divine discipline and minister to others for their own good and for the good of the church. These things describe a right understanding about God and how he works for us in our adversities. Verses 12 and on describe our response to our right understanding through our right doing. Well, if you would open your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, we will look specifically at verses 18 through 29 today. Uh, But we will start reading in verse 12 to get some context. So we'll pick up the text in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and straighten your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. 
Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. May God bless the reading of his word. So we have before us a tale of two mountains, if you will. But before we unpack the two mountains in our text, notice that verse 18 starts with the word for. This is a link which contrasts the two mountains in our verse with the unbelief and immorality of Esau in verses 16 and 17. Let me read a short bit from the book of Genesis to remind you of the story of Esau and his younger brother Jacob. Genesis 25 says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau was a man who didn't believe in what he couldn't see. The spiritual blessings which accompanied the birthright of the firstborn were unseen promises in the future to him. The bowl of stew in front of him was something he could see and smell and taste, and he frivolously traded his birthright for it. So what does this have to do with the contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion in our text? Well, Mount Sinai is Jacob's stew, and Mount Zion is like Esau's birthright. The birthright and its blessings were something much better than the bowl of stew, but they were far off in the future, something unseen. The revelation of God to Israel at Mount Sinai was seen, heard, smelled, and felt. 
the law that was given set forth God's conditions for Israel's blessing in an earthly kingdom. The Jewish people clung to the old covenant because it seemed to offer a more immediate and visible kingdom to them. Mount Zion, in comparison, represents a spiritual kingdom and all that Christians hope for in the next life. It is the motivation for enduring trials and tribulations of this world, just as Esau had to choose between a bowl of stew and some future promised blessings So the author of Hebrew encourages readers to look beyond a present earthly kingdom, Mount Sinai, and its earthly earthly rewards, and look forward to God's promised eternal kingdom, Mount Zion, and its eternal rewards. Well, let's look closer at the Old Covenant Mountain where we see our first point is that we belong to a spiritual kingdom. We belong to a spiritual kingdom. Our text in verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Some of you may have noticed that the word mountain doesn't appear in these verses. Um, But it is commonly accepted that the phrase, what may be touched, is referring to the book of Exodus and the descriptions on Mount Sinai. Under the old covenant, God's holiness and majesty were emphasized by the natural phenomena which accompanied his presence. Here we have burning fire and darkness, a whirlwind, earthquakes and trumpet blasts that would have been worthy of any of today's biggest blockbuster movies. It's almost like there was police tape wrapped around Mount Sinai. These events were so awesome that even Moses was terrified by what he saw. And verse 21 says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And it was not just the physical events that were happening here that caused the Israelites so much fear. It was also the word of the law itself, where our text says, A voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. The physical aspects of the giving of the law were impressive indeed. You really couldn't ask for more substantial proof of God's existence as well as his majesty, power, and holiness. But in spite of this, their impact on the people did not inspire them to obedience. While still at the base of Mount Sinai and while Moses was still on the mountain, they asked Aaron to fashion them a calf of gold, which they worshipped like heathens. The Hebrew Christians are here reminded that this is not the kingdom they belong to. Thankfully, we have not come to a mountain of terror and separation from God. Rather, we have come to a new covenant mountain where we find our point two, which says we belong to an eternal kingdom. We belong to an eternal kingdom. 
verse 21 begins, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In this kingdom, through faith in Christ, we have come into the presence of God himself, the place where he is sovereign and from which he rules and he reigns. Remembering that mountain of darkness where sinful man was prohibited from even touching, here we see a great scene of encouragement. The angels who were once blowing the blaring trumpets of Mount Sinai are now a welcoming party, inviting us to join in to their glad worship of the Lord. And what a further sight we see which will be welcoming, something to which we ourselves will belong, the church of the firstborn. The term firstborn tells us much about this church. Traditionally, the firstborn receives a double portion of an inheritance. And here we have a whole city of such heirs. Firstborns receive their inheritance by birth, not by their achievements. Here, too, we will come into our firstborn rights through our new birth in Christ, not through our works in this world. Of course, this is the city of God. Then God, the judge of all, must be there, and with him at his right hand will be Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Surely the hearers of this letter would see the futility of going back to the old covenant with Moses as its mediator, full of fear and trembling. Here we are also told that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. After Abel was killed by Cain, God's word tells us that his blood cried out to God for judgment. Abel's blood bore witness against Cain, indicating his guilt. Christ's blood, on the other hand, has won our forgiveness, crying out that the people of the new covenant are no longer guilty, having been cleansed completely from their sin. Which brings us to our third point, that we belong to an unshakable kingdom. We belong to an unshakable kingdom. In verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. The contrast we have seen here are intended to lead us to the proper choice of mountains. 
They are intended to inspire us and to have immediate and active response in our lives. And we should respond to these events in three ways. First, we must be obedient. We must be obedient. We see here the contrast of Israel not even being able to bear hearing God at Mount Sinai, the words of the Old Covenant, words that were written in stone. This is contrasted with verse 25, in which through Christ, God speaks directly to his people, words which are written on their hearts of flesh. And they are told, see that you do not refuse him. Those who rejected the voice for Mount Sinai did not escape God's judgment. Consequently, those who now turn away from the heavenly warning certainly will not escape. This inspires us to not only diligently study God's word from which he speaks to us today, but also to a faithful witness of its truth as we follow his commandment to spread the word of truth to all the world. The gospel truth presents the highest obligation to obedience, bringing a greater punishment for disobedience than even Moses' law. William Barclay says, If a man merits condemnation for neglecting the imperfect message of the law, how much more does he merit it for neglecting the perfect message of the gospel? Because the gospel is the full revelation of God, There is laid on the man who hears it a double and terrible responsibility, and his condemnation must be all the more if he neglects it. Secondly, we must be confident. We must be confident. Conscious as we are of political instability, social pressure, political and economical hazards, religious apostasy, physical hardships, and moral decay in our world today, we should not despair. We must have faith in God's plan for today in our lives as well as for all of our tomorrows. The earth shook at Sinai, but that shaking will pale in comparison to the shaking promised here, which comes from the book of Haggai in chapter 2, which says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This is a prophetic history lesson, a reminder that one day, Only those eternal things which are of him will remain. Peter writes of the judgment that will come upon the world after Christ returns, where he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." But the new covenant people will not come to Mount Zion for God to pass judgment on them, but for him to vindicate them before their wicked oppressors. 
While Moses, as the mediator of the Old Covenant, trembled with fear, we now, through the ministry of Jesus Christ, the mediator of the New Covenant, we can draw near to God with confidence. And finally, we must be reverent. We must be reverent. While the gospel gives us a better revelation than that received at Mount Sinai, a salvation through God's grace in Jesus Christ, it is not a different God that speaks in this age. He is now as he has always been. And that means that he is still holy and exalted and awesome in his glory. He is still a consuming fire, and he can never be taken lightly. This truth is famously told by C.S. Lewis in his Narnia series in the book The Silver Chair. At one point, the adventurous girl Jill comes upon a stream of water. She has been lost and is dying of thirst. But as she comes forward, she sees the giant and majestic lion Aslan, who depicts the Lord, sitting calmly before the water. Terrified, she stops in her tracks. The lion invites her, If you are thirsty, come and drink. Drawn by the gurgle of the stream, the girl steps forward a bit. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? She meekly asks. I make no promise, says the lion. Drawn closer by the refreshing sounds of the water, she wonders aloud. Do you eat girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, he replies. Jill recoils at this, concluding, I daren't come and drink. Then you will die of thirst, says the lion. Oh dear, cries Jill, drawn yet a step closer by her need for water. I suppose I must go look for another stream then. But Aslan responds, there is no other stream. Richard Phillips says, if you are going to have the thirst of your soul filled by the waters of eternal life, then you are going to have to deal with this kind of God. He will not move out of the way for you. He will not become more palatable, a chummier kind of God. He will never be safe. But he is the Savior, the God of majesty and grace, the God who shakes the heavens and the earth but gives to his own a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, though sometimes we would rather that you were that more palatable God, and there are those who so want to put you into that mold, Lord, we praise you and thank you today that you are not. Lord, you are perfectly holy and full of majesty and glory. And this is the kind of God that in our heart of hearts we truly want. And Lord, we so thank you that you have a plan for us to be able to draw close to you in your perfect holiness, 
though we are still sinful through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we so look forward today, even as we endure the trials and tribulations of this world, to that day when your unshakable kingdom will come and we will stand in glory as part of it, one of the firstborn heirs in the church. And Lord, we just thank you for this promise in our lives and we pray that it will affect how we think and live every day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.